0: Greetings from Hazelmere, that distant land, (laughs) tropical delights. Um, No, it's really great to be here. Lovely to to be with you, worshipping with you again this morning. Um, As Neil just said, we are continuing that preaching series from the book of Proverbs, which is in the Old Testament. Um, Proverbs, one area that Proverbs has a lot to say about is family, the whole area of family. Um, And in two particular areas, one is marriage, and the other is the relationship between parents and children. So later in the series, we'll come to the relationship between parents and children, which means that today, we're looking at what Proverbs has to say about marriage. Okay, now please don't switch off if you're not married. um, Because actually, I think what the Bible has to teach us, and particularly today, the book of Proverbs has to teach us about marriage, is relevant for all of us, married or unmarried. Because this is a foundational issue for all of our lives and indeed for our society uh, as a whole, because we live in a time of unprecedented family breakdown. Um, Something like 40% of marriages in the UK end in divorce, and that, of course, has big knock-on effects on children and on society in general. And, of course, many here today, you will have experienced some sort of family breakdown. You will have been involved in it, You you will have felt the pain of it, and you may well find yourself in a situation that you would never would have chosen and that you never would have envisaged. This is an important issue. Now, the Bible is very positive indeed about marriage. Um, and so here's the first of many Proverbs we're going to look at today. We're going to have a lot of Proverbs coming up on the screen. Um, so just try and keep up. And the projections will try and keep up as well. Olu, oh, you're doing a good job. So uh, Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favour from the Lord. I heard a few amens there from... Yeah. Receives favour from the Lord. That doesn't mean, of course, that if you're not married, you don't receive favour from the Lord. That's not what it's saying. But marriage, as God designed it, is a good thing. It's a really good thing. It is a gift. It's a source of blessing. And it is something that will benefit families. Marriage is the foundation of the family. And it will benefit society as a whole when it's done right. And I think it's really important that we're clear on that in a society that really, frankly, is pretty confused about family, about marriage, what, what is family, what is marriage, the definitions of those things, and where there's a prevailing attitude which is pretty negative towards marriage. It's kind of a thing of the past. Well, the Bible starts and ends with marriage, and marriage is God's idea, and it is a good thing. However, we know, of course, that marriage can go very wrong indeed. And Proverbs is very down-to-earth about this. Proverbs gives us an insight into what marriage can be like when it's not quite going right, when things go a bit wrong. So Proverbs 21.9 says, Better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Now let me just, before, before gentlemen, you start looking sideways, let me just make this point. The book of Proverbs is the whole book is framed as being advice from a father to a son, which is why these proverbs have a male emphasis. As why it talks about a wife. It could equally read, a quarrelsome husband. Okay, so just understand that, and that will apply to all the proverbs we read. Okay, so here's another one, Proverbs 21:19. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife or husband. Okay? Proverbs 12.4, uh, just the second part of this proverb says, A disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. What, clearly, marriage can be extremely painful. It can be very painful when it's going wrong, if you're joined fundamentally to the wrong person, which means, of course, that a massive aspect in how marriage goes is, is the choice that you make of who to marry. And so, for some of you, that's, that's too late, but... Um, There'll be more for you later, but it does mean that if you're single, but considering marriage or would consider marriage in the future, the choice, choosing wisely and choosing with discernment is of utmost importance. So Proverbs 31.10 says, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. A spouse of noble character who can fight, that is worth far more than root. That is a precious, precious thing. This is one of the biggest decisions you will ever make in your life. And there are traps to watch out for. Okay, Some blind spots that can easily lead to an unwise choice. So I just want to spend a bit of time talking about that. So Proverbs 31 verse 30 says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Right, one trap that we can very easily fall into is to be so attracted to someone physically that it blinds you to everything else that is important. You know, kind of, ah, you know, she is the one. I look at her. Look, she's so beautiful. She makes me go weak at the knees. She's amazing. I'm so in love with her. Wow, that's great. What's her name? Uh, oh, um, I can't quite remember. Now, obviously, that's a bit of a parody. The point is, beauty is fleeting, Physical beauty doesn't last. I can tell you one thing. She will not look like that in 40 years' time. Okay? Now, I'm not saying, of course, that physical attraction isn't important. It is important. It really is. I mean, it wasn't the dynamism of her conversation that first attracted me to my wife, Suzanne. Um, Certainly wasn't the dynamism of my conversation, because I don't have any. Um, But I really, really fancied her. Okay, that's, that's what caught my eye. That's what first attracted me to her. I really fancied her. I think on her part, it was a purely physical thing. I mean, who wouldn't... <laughs> I'm not quite sure, no. Uh, no, you'd have to ask Suzanne what on earth it was that attracted her, her to me. I, I, for my part, I really fancied her. And I'm pleased to say I still do. Um, probably... Even more so, actually. But it wasn't the sole basis for our relationship. It wasn't the sole basis for for getting married. Because actually in Suzanne, as I got to know her, I had the opportunity to get to know her, talk with her, see her, I saw a woman of God. And a, a woman of character and integrity. And I could see everything that God was doing in her life as well. And the woman of God she was becoming and that she would become. And, you know, I really wanted to be a part of that. I want to be involved in that. There has to be, you know, that was a very attractive thing for me. There has to be so much more than just physical attraction. And I guess it seems like a very obvious thing to say. But I also know how easily the human heart is lured by beauty. How easily we get steered off course by vanity. It's what caused all the problems right in the beginning. So we need to be on our guard. You need to know the person that you are thinking about marrying. What are they living for? What is he living for? And what I mean is, what is he really living for? Not just the face that he presents on the first few dates. You know what? I, I pretended to be interested in exercise for Suzanne. I went to circuit classes. As soon as we were married, I haven't been near a circuit class since. Okay? What is his character like? What is he, what's he like when he's not trying to put on a show? How does he respond in different situations? You don't want to be, end up married and suddenly think, who is this person I married This is not the man I thought I knew. This is not the woman I thought I knew. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. Don't be deceived. It's kind of like buying a Ferrari because it looks beautiful without taking the trouble to first find out someone's put a lawnmower engine under the bonnet. Or as Proverbs 11.22 puts it very eloquently, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. You get the picture. Beauty can hide all sorts of ugliness and charm can as well. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting but a woman or man who fears the Lord is to be praised. Surely the most important thing you are looking for, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus and therefore you would say he is at the center of your life, your faith is the most important thing in your life, surely the most important thing you're looking for is faith. Proverbs 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life leads to life. Why would you go out with or marry someone who doesn't share in that most foundational, that most central of beliefs, that life itself, fullness of life and contentment and satisfaction comes alone from knowing God through Jesus Christ. It's very difficult to, to, when your life revolves around that to be compatible with someone who doesn't. And I know people are in that situation. This is not having a, a, a dig at you at all. As a Christian, the choice of who to marry is a spiritual choice, or the choice of if to marry is a spiritual choice. It has to be. I'm sure you're aware of other teaching in the Bible, like 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. That's very explicit. If you're a Christian, don't get married to someone who's not a Christian. And I guess a lot of Christians really don't like that verse because it kind of narrows the possibilities. Or you might say, faced with that kind of thing, but you just don't understand. You know, this, this person is perfect She's perfect, and I've fallen in love with her. and it just, it just feels so right, as if falling in love is something that just happens to you completely outside of your control. You know, that's really dangerous thinking, because of course, if that's the case, you can just as easily fall out of love. It's out of your control. What happens then? What have you got left? Be careful of that way of thinking. Oh, but he's perfect for me. No, he's not. One, he's not perfect, and two, he's not perfect for you if... There's not that strong, shared faith. It will lead to, it will be really difficult. And there are people who would be able to tell you that firsthand. Now, maybe, it might be that you're, if you're single, you're feeling a bit irritated by this. Um, or a bit defensive, or you think it's a bit patronizing. You know, it's all right for you, uh, you're married, it's all right for you to talk to me as a single person. I understand that, I really do. But, but do you get defensive when anyone Challenges you or offers advice in this particular area or challenges you about a, a particular relationship you're in or that you're thinking of getting into and you respond with, you know, you but it's none of your business. You don't understand, I'm in love, I love him, I love her. How dare you try and interfere, just you know, butt out. This, this is true love. Well Proverbs twelve fifteen says the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Don't be a fool about this. This is too important. Listen to advice. Listen to wisdom. I'm not saying I'm particularly wise, but this is. This stuff is. This is wisdom. And if you find you get defensive, when someone you trust, and you can apply this to all areas of life, by the way, when someone you trust brings a note of caution about a relationship, and I I do mean someone you trust, not just anyone, because you can always find voices that will tell you what you want to hear, but when someone you trust tells you something maybe you don't want to hear, How do you respond? Listen to them. Listen. Don't be defensive. Take it as a checkpoint. Take it as an opportunity to reflect, to think carefully about this. Seek wisdom and listen. Proverbs 22.3 says, A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge. If someone may be bringing a note of warning that you need to hear, the, the prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going. They ignore that. Keep going and suffer for it. Be prudent Not simple. Now, of course, wisdom and prudence will go flying straight out the window if you see a relationship or you see marriage as the solution to all your problems. If you're really more in love with the idea of being in love or with the idea of being married, that you think that that is where you will find your lasting fulfillment, your lasting happiness, you won't. I promise you, you won't. Because in essence, what you're doing is you're making the other person your saviour you're making them your Messiah. And there's actually only one person in the universe who can do that job, and it is not your potential spouse. And it's utterly unfair on them to think that it is. If you, if you think that being married is the solution to all your problems, you know, if I can meet that person, get married, then I'll be happy, then I won't be depressed anymore, then my life will be good, then I'll start taking things a bit more seriously, I'll start coming to church more, or whatever it might be. If you're more in love with the idea of marriage, one, it will lead you into an unwise choice. It, you won't be employing wisdom in your choice, but two, it will crush the other person. The weight of your expectation will crush the other person because they will not be able to fulfill what you want them to fulfill. And it will crush your marriage and eventually you. So it's so important to know what you are looking for in a potential spouse. Know what is important. Faith, character, integrity, and yes, physical attraction. Those things are important, but also know what is not important. You know, don't be... Don't be someone who raises the bar so high that you're actually looking for something that doesn't exist. You know, she has to have this colour hair, this kind of face. She's got to be from this country. She's got to uh, have these interests. She's got to have this name. She's got to appear miraculously on my doorstep. Then I'll know it's the one from God. No, don't do that either. Know what is important. Know what's not important. And seek wise counsel from others. So I must move on from that. I hope if you're single that that wasn't... Patronizing, it's just trying to apply wisdom to a really important decision. So let's look briefly at what Proverbs tells us about the nature of marriage. Okay, so in Proverbs 2, this father is telling his son about some of the things that wisdom will save him from. And then in chapter 2, verses 16 to 17, he says, Wisdom will also save you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth, this adulteress who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. And then in chapter 5, and this is still in the context of avoiding adultery, 5.18 says, the father says to the son, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. So you've got this adulteress who has uh, abandoned the partner of her youth, ignored the covenant she made before God, and then you've got this son being told to rejoice in the wife of your youth, your youth. This speaks of permanence. Permanence in marriage. That this is a covenant relationship, that this is a lifelong relationship. You know, the vows that you make on your wedding day are not actually about how you feel now. They're promises of how you will love that person in the future and in all circumstances. Now, let me, a quick caveat here. There are, of course, circumstances where separation is right and necessary. If there's abuse, if it's an abusive situation, if there's desertion, things like that, there are those situations, of course. Okay, I'm not saying otherwise, but marriage is a covenant made between two people in the presence of God for life. This is why it's so important to be wise in who you choose to marry, And it's why if you're going to be married here at King's, you first have to go through marriage preparation. So you go in with your eyes open. But you know, even when you go in with your eyes open, you very quickly come to realize when you get married that this is two histories colliding. It really is. It can be a collision. Worldviews, values, assumptions, habits, ways of doing things, ways of thinking that are different, that maybe you had not appreciated were different before. And it requires a lot of hard work, actually, to work through all of those things. So Suzanne and I, we really are complete opposites. I mean, we really are. Her idea of relaxation is going out for a run or a walk. Mine invariably involves a sofa and sport on the TV. She likes to eat salads and stir fries. I like beige food. Um, For those of you who know Myers-Briggs personality indicator. I am an ISTJ. She is an ENFP. Complete opposites. She wants to talk about stuff. I don't really. (laughs) She wants to talk about a problem without necessarily having to find a solution. That's just bizarre. That's weird. What's that about? You may well have seen this video before. I'm going to show you now, but I think this expresses very well what I'm trying to say. and i'm not sleeping very well at all and all my sweaters are snagged i mean all of them yeah I, that sounds really hard it is thank you ow oh, come on <gasps> if you would just don't try to see things my way uh uncomfortably realistic uh, you have to work really hard at establishing a solid permanent marriage and we very often, I very often get it, get it really wrong so recently we attended a marriage day here in the West End Hall which involved filling in a questionnaire which produces a report, and it produces, it's like a snapshot of your marriage. And you get this report, and it has these kind of columns, which kind of shows the level of harmony or agreement you have in certain key areas of, of marriage. And it's better if they're higher. Um, let's just say I was really glad that these columns were labeled growth areas um, rather than how-did-you-two-ever-get-together areas. Um, we've still got a lot of growing to do in our marriage, but... It is underpinned by a commitment to permanence. The vows that we made on our wedding day absolutely mean them. Commitment to permanence that goes way beyond feelings or differences. So here's how C.S. Lewis puts it in Mere Christianity. He says, Being in love is a good thing, but it's not the main thing. Love, as distinct from being in love, is not just a feeling. It's a deep unity maintained by the will, deliberately strengthened by habit reinforced in Christian marriages by the grace of Jesus Christ a husband and wife can have this love for each other even at those moments when they do not like each other and it's on this love that the engine of marriage runs being in love was just the explosion that ignited it now that that kind of gritty commitment and a refusal to give up is an essential part of any marriage but of course it is so much more than that because that all makes it sound like a bit of a grind that sounds a bit joyless but but that verse I read out before says, rejoice in the wife of your youth, delight in, in the wife of your youth. This paints a picture of joy and, and blessing and delight in marriage. So Proverbs gives us some clues as to how we do this. So Proverbs 31, verse 11 to 12 says, her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm All the days of her life. Or he brings her good, not harm, all the days of his life. This is about bringing good, not harm, to the other person. Preferring their needs over yours. You have to have a, a ministry mindset in marriage. Ministry towards each other. A commitment to serving the other. A commitment to love, even when they are not being the spouse that you want them to be a commitment that says, I'm really excited about about what you are becoming, and what God is doing, and what he's doing in your life, and and, and that journey of being changed by Jesus. And you know, I want to be a part of that, and I'm willing to sacrifice to be a part of it, sacrifice my own needs to minister to you, to be part of this journey that you're on. Because if you go into marriage with a consumer mindset of what I can get out of it, that's going to be really difficult. That's going to be that's going to be disastrous. We all do it at times, and we all recognize it ourselves, so I'm sure. It's about having a mindset of ministry, laying down your life for the other person. And this is the kind of love that reflects the love of Jesus, because he laid down his life for you. He pursued you. And he loves you to make you lovely, not necessarily because you are lovely. His love changes you. And that's what we should see reflected in marriage. marriage. See, marriage is so glorious... Because it's meant to be a gospel reenactment. It's a picture of sacrifice and love and delight. And the more you seek in the other person's good, the deeper that love will be. And the more your marriage will be a picture of the gospel. I fail at this most of the time, by the way. I'm in constant need of the grace of God and the grace of my wife. And she is very gracious with me. How do you do this? How do you serve one another? How do you delight in one another? How do you benefit one another in your marriage? Well, Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, that is true in the context of all friendship, but it is particularly true in marriage and in the friendship of marriage. Iron sharpening iron. So I talked before about how different, how very different we are. And differences can very easily become entrenched positions if we have a consumer mindset, and sometimes they do become entrenched positions. But they can be a great richness with a ministry mindset, with a mindset of delighting in your spouse. Differences become opportunities to learn from each other, opportunities to see things differently, opportunities to broaden your perspective. And you know, in that way, Suzanne is such a gift to me, because I can see things in myself that have changed as a result of being married to her. So, for example... And if you know me, you may find this hard to believe, but um, I now see things in a far less black and white way than I used to. And that is a direct result of being married to Suzanne. She's changed as well. I asked her the other day, uh, how do you think you've changed as a result of um, being married to me? Uh, She said she's probably more blunt and less worried about offending people. So that's (laughs) that's my contribution to the marriage. So, one way that you can delight in one another and serve one another, is in that iron-sharpening iron kind of way, appreciating differences, seeing differences as complementary strength, and actually a means of being changed ourselves. But Proverbs goes even further than that. So Proverbs 12.4, we've already looked at this one, but I'm going to look at the first part this time. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, and vice versa. A husband of noble character is his wife's crown. A crown is something that's on display it's something you, you show off. It, this is about honoring your spouse. How do you honor your spouse in private? How do you honor your spouse in publicly? This is, this is about lifting them up, elevating them, showing that you're really glad that you're with them. And Proverbs 31, 28 to 30 says, Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you... You surpass them all. Now again, I'm not naturally very good at this, so let me just say this right now. My wife is amazing. She she really is. She's an excellent mum, although she wouldn't say that herself. She's an excellent wife, though she wouldn't say that herself. But she's doing a full-time degree and getting great marks, as well as working part-time, raising three children, keeping a household running. All of that while battling against thyroid disease, and coping with me. And my diary as well. She's amazing. And I'm. I'm really proud of her. I'm really proud that she's my wife. I don't know how I'm going to do this when she's there in Hazelmere, but. And in addition to all of that, she's really hot. Hey, I've just gone and ruined it, haven't I? On the subject of hotness, I must mention sex. Um, I would like to talk about sex a lot more today, but time doesn't allow Um, So let me just make a point about this. So people often think of God or Christians as having a fairly negative view of sex. And certainly God places restrictions on sex in terms of the context in which it is to be enjoyed, which is within marriage. But negative? Are you kidding? Back to Proverbs 5.18 to 20. we've, We've read the first part of this already, but he goes on and makes a further point. So he says, May your fountain be blessed. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Yes, things like that are in the Bible. The Bible celebrates sex within marriage. There's a whole book about it, Song of Songs. You've got to check it out if you haven't read it before. Um, maybe later on, though. Um, it, The Bible sets a context of sexual joy in marriage. Now, where I took that from, Proverbs 5, the chapter, if you read it, is is really warnings against adultery. Now, adultery usually happens in the context of a painful marriage, an unsatisfying, painful marriage. But, of course, adultery will never reduce the pain as much as it might promise to do so. It will multiply it, and it will bring utter destruction. It will bring utter devastation. And don't ever think you're immune to it. Never think you're immune to it. Don't be off your guard. Be on your guard against this. But the message of Proverbs 5 is that not only should you do everything you can to stay away from adultery. And by the way, I would include pornography in that. Because if you're getting sexual gratification from looking at pictures, images, videos of someone who's not your spouse, that is not forsaking all others. That's adulterous behavior. So Proverbs 5 says you should do everything you can to stay away from adultery. Everything you can to stay away from things which might lead to adultery. You know, the workplace kind of flirtation. Be wise. Flee from it. Run a mile from it. Know the signs. But it actually says the best way, not only avoiding it, but the best way of making adultery completely unattractive is to have a great sex life within your marriage. To have a joyous sex life within your marriage. So married couples, there's something you can go and practice. Um, That, (laughs) That is another big part of delighting. Delighting in one another. Now let me say this. If you're experiencing difficulties in your marriage, get help quickly. Don't wait. Get help. Don't allow difficulties to grow into insurmountable obstacles. Marriage is hard. It is hard work sometimes. We have people in the church, we have resources in the church that can help you. So seek help. That's not an admission of failure. That is a desire to have a strong, God-honoring marriage, a marriage that reflects the gospel. It's a good thing. And of course, for some, maybe today has been a bit uncomfortable or a bit painful, because maybe because you've messed up. Maybe you carry feelings of guilt, memories of pain, memories of regret. Or maybe you've been wounded by what has been done to you. And it feels like an open wound. Or maybe you're grieving. Because your spouse has died. Remember, at the heart of Christianity is a God of grace. You can find grace, you can find forgiveness... You can find healing. You can find comfort at the cross. Because he didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. He came to give you fullness of life and to restore you to fullness of life. And that's really where I want to finish, by having our eyes fixed there in the right place. There's so much more that we could say about marriage. I've just tried to show you what I think Proverbs tells us about marriage. But there's so much more the whole Bible tells us about marriage. But it can all get a bit overwhelming. Like, how do I do this? Because I know what I'm like, I know how selfish I can be. I, this is really hard, I'm, I'm, I can't seem to get this right. But we're not meant to live with our eyes turned inwards. We're not meant to live with our eyes on ourselves. That will lead to despair, ultimately. But actually the whole Bible is about a marriage. It starts, as I said earlier, it starts with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. The wedding supper of the Lamb that is described in the book of Revelation. That if you're a Christian, you will be part of. You are part of. It's the story of a marriage. It's a story of God's people who were utterly unfaithful, completely adulterous. We turned our backs on him. But God pursued us. We were rescued. We were redeemed by the perfect groom who came looking for his bride. And he paid the ultimate price to have her for himself. He came as a man. He suffered. He died on the cross to carry away our shame And bring us into this new life of freedom and a new life of love with him. See, none of what I've been talking about today actually is about performing better in marriage, doing better in marriage. It's about getting to know him. It's about getting to know the great bridegroom, Jesus, because he will make you new, he will change you, he will strengthen your marriage if you let him. We need him before we need anything else. He needs to be central. See, if your spouse is at the center of your life, you will not be a very good spouse because you will never be able to provide the fulfillment that they are looking for and they will not be able to do that for you and you will end up growing resentful. Differences will become entrenched. Jesus has to be at the center because when we're changed by him, then we become better spouses. Then we learn to love better and less selfishly. It's the greatest security we have in our marriage that we both love Jesus more than we love each other. He changes you. He gives you the ability to love someone supernaturally. So keep him central. And actually that holds true. If you're not married. But you would really like to be. Is Jesus at the center of your life? Because unless you're relatively happy as a single person. Finding fulfillment in Christ. You're going to find marriage really difficult. Get that right first. Save yourself some problems later on. Marriage is good but it's not God. Marriage is a really good thing. It's It's a wonderful, wonderful gift, but Jesus is far, far better. So married or unmarried, wanting marriage or not wanting marriage, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus in anticipation of that glorious day when you will see him face to face, when you'll be able to enjoy the wedding supper of the Lamb, and when the Lord will finally come to meet his bride. Marriage is a good thing. Jesus is far better. Amen.